Welcome to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast where we're going to be exploring above and below the surface. We'll take in a deep dive into the world of fishing, diving, and surfing. Every week, we're going to sit down with experts to learn more about them and get their freshest, hottest takes on all things salty. All right, everybody, welcome back to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Anderson, and today, again, we have Captain Rick. How are you doing, man? Real good, dude, real good. Great to see you again. Good to see you too. You got a different hairdo. I was complimenting on you at this this time. <laughs> yeah, the last time I we were together, I think I had it braided. Um, but I've had it growing since my dad passed away two years ago. Oh wow! Almost exactly two years ago. Yeah, he passed away with COVID, and uh, it started growing. And at that time, there were a few others in the family sick, including me. And uh, haircuts weren't a priority. Well, before long, my wife started enjoying having the hair, so I kept it. <laughs> So you grew it out. Keep it yeah, out. I like it. I like it. Well, today we're going to be talking about um, primarily fly fishing, if that's all right with you, Captain Rick. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's uh, it's my favorite way to get them out of the water. Yeah. Last time we kind of talked about everything uh, fishing related, but uh, I thought it'd be a good uh, topic to bring up this time. And it's a really good topic for me, too, because there's a lot of fly fishing in Oregon and I go up there a lot. So. This oh. should be a, this should be a fun one. But um, for the people that didn't listen in last time, uh, Captain Rick, you mind giving us a little brief overview on about you and uh, what you do? Yeah, I'm Captain Rick of Clear Vision Charters, um, Southeast Louisiana Salt Life Captain, and all we do is get them out of water, have uh, lots and lots of fun doing it. Um, lots of guys are all about blood on the decks, but we're all about the experience, you know, uh, making the most of your time here in Southeast Louisiana enjoying our inshore waters why is fishing so important to you captain rick it's just a part of who i am i grew up fishing uh in louisiana just about everybody i know was pulling a pirogue by the age of eight or nine and you know out doing it uh, uh pretty big by the time we were 12 13 and with me uh my dad and i would go out there and we fish and my uncle james jr uh he had beagles and did rabbit hunting out on the swamp so while Dad and I were fishing, we hear the, the guns banging off in the uh, distance. He'd run me over there and kick me off on the island, and I'd hunt for a while. He'd come back later, or they'd meet up wherever. And back then, we didn't have cell phones. I'm not even sure how they'd do it, but we'd meet up, and I'd jump back on the fishing boat and fish the rest of the day. And um, it was just a given. You go to school Monday through fi- Friday, and you fish on Saturdays and church Sunday morning. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So did you grow up fly fishing too then? When you were younger? No, I've always did a little bit of tinkering. I've always done a little bit of tinkering, but um, for the most part, we were fishing for the table, right? Um, nothing about fishing was about uh, uh, the joy of fishing. Everything was about getting meat out of the water, you know, so the family could eat and also be in church folk so we could take care of the less fortunate uh, that were in our community. We always tried to lend a hand when we could and absolutely when there was an excess uh, um, we make sure that everybody was fit. Is is fly fishing more expensive or less expensive than normal fishing? It's the exact same. Um, same our charters here, we price them all the exact same uh, because in essence, in essence, our charters are kind of run by the hour, if you will. And we're going to spend six hours of fishing time during a spin charter and six hours of fishing time during a fly charter. Our fly charter times may vary, though, so we can get the sun at a peak height. Or if we know for a fact we've got a little system rolling through early in the morning, we may, may back it up a couple hours, see if we can get the best visibility. 
What about the difference in, in uh, quantity of, or uh, yeah, quantity of fish you catch? Oh, there's a mountain of difference. It's as far as we as the, the east is from the west, right? Um, when we go out there and spin fishing, it really is about seeing how many we can shove into the box. And uh, there was a time recently when we got on a school of massive sheep's head, and um, I tried to leave them so we could go find some trout. But the group that I was with was having a ball of a time and didn't want to boogie woogie so we stayed on them and uh they said what's our limit on sheep said we're catching a lot of them and i said well we've got about a half inch left of space in this fish box and once we can't close it anymore uh we're leaving these she said <laughs> which we don't want meat to start spoiling on the way in right so when you say spin fishing that's just a, a normal rod and reel normal rod and reel spin casters uh as opposed to bait casters are is, is uh, generally why we refer to it as spin fishing so what, what kind of fly rods do you use? I use Cook & Warship fly rods. Um, the Cook & Warship Maverick in particular, um, it's a nine-foot rod, and I use an eight-weight. And for the redfish, an eight-weight is probably the bottom of where you want to be. A lot of guys will use nine, ten-weight uh, rods on the redfish. But what I find with the Cook & Warship rods is the durability is second to none. Um, hmm. Danny Warsham up there in northern Mississippi makes these rods. Um, and I tell you, he, he stands behind them, top to bottom, inside and out. Even if you roll the window up and uh, break it, rolling it up in the window, you let Mr. Danny know he's sending you a new rod. And they come in combination with the reels. And he has two style of reels. One reel is a freshwater reel with a single disc brake. The other one is a saltwater style of reel, which is, uh, I believe, a cast aluminum instead of forged. And that one has a, a three-disc drag system. And that's the one that I prefer for my redfish, even though during the winter I'll use the uh, single disc uh, a lot of times with my floating lines. Just because during the winter, I also use my fly rods to catch bass and to catch um, a lot of trout that move deep into the marsh. So with, with fly rods, what would be like the correct weight for just somebody that like me, because this is actually a question for me, but um, if I wanted to just get one fly rod that will be useful for river fishing or going to the lake and everything like that, what would be a good weight rod? Um, I would say match the hatch type of thing, right? If you're going after fish that are going to be good fighters, um, 12, 15, 18 pounds, I would stick with the eight weight. Uh, uh, I think what happens here in Louisiana is we get a lot of wind, in okay. the uh, spring in particular, for the last eight to 10 years, it wasn't like this before, but for the last eight to 10 years, we've had extremely, extremely windy springs. So I use an eight weight and then I line up on my floating lines, the nine weight, because I want my line to land somewhere between 250 and 300 grams. And that isn't for castability because in general, we're not going to make 60, 70 feet cast to redfish, right? Um, that's something that you want to do with bonefish when you really got to be super stealth. But with these redfish, they're pretty aggressive. And if you can present flies to them before they, you know, get a good look at you, they're going to eat if they're if they're in that eating mood. A lot of my buddies who are farther up north um, uh, uh, doing the pike fishing and large bass fishing are using six weight. And then, of course, for the trout, because uh, the trout are in moving water and you want to be able to present long shots and you also want to be able to present the most delicate way possible. A lot of my buddies are using four weight for that. 
So what's what's the big difference in in the weight rods that you're talking about? Literally the weight. Uh, the reason I use an eight weight rather than a ten weight is the exact same reason that I use the Shimano NRXs um, for my personal uh, spin and bait caster rods. When you're out there all day every day, that extra weight builds up fast. And I ain't a youngin anymore, hmm. right? Um, I don't necessarily have the ability to go out there and wave that rod back and forth six hours at a time um, yeah. at those higher weights. So it literally is in the weight of the rod. And then, of course, when you get smaller, you've got a slightly smaller trunk on the rod. It'll load a little bit easier. And when I say load, that's when I'm talking about what the tip does as you swing it backwards. That tip needs to bring itself to a... Uh, certain amount of bend in order for that line to finish unfurling on the back cast and load itself for great cast on the forward cast. Um, so when you go down in weight, you also want to go down in weight on the line or else you'll overload your tip and you'll have a really, really tough time casting the line. Are rods uh, just as important as reels for fly fishing? The rod is everything. Uh, the okay. rod is everything, everything, everything. You literally, you literally, could take a fly line with two foot of backing. Uh, and when I say backing, I'm talking about any type of heavy duty braid. I use a regular old 50 weight braid. Um, I like to use yellow, a bright yellow color so I can see when I'm in at the end of the fly line and I've made it to the backing. Cause at that point, if you're fighting a big fish, you need to start considering tightening down on your drag and getting back to the fly line itself. Well, long story made short, you can take two feet of braided line tied to the welded loop on the back of the fly line tied to the butt of your rod and even though you'd have a whole bunch of line uh balled up around your feet you could fly fish from that very easily it does mean rather than reeling a fish in you would be using a stripping technique which is basically i'll back up a little bit pulling the line back through the eyes as you pinch with these two fingers uh almost as a drag that's crazy that yeah so crazy. the rod is your number one and only must have when you're fly fishing that's funny because i always like growing up my dad always told me hey yeah the rod's the most important part i could use anything for a reel yeah, amen to that i remember growing up funny you say so my family has uh, quite a bit of land right there in south central mississippi right uh, outside of the city of magnolia mississippi and we've got these great big ponds out there that uh the cattle you know we had a dairy farm there and the cows would go out and, you know, use it to drink and cool off. And we go out there with these really, really long cane poles, sometimes 12, 14 feet, and tie 10, 15 feet of line on the end of it, wrap it around the tip just enough so that if you got a bigger fish and you needed to pull some off, a little bit could slip off. And, uh, yeah, when your little bobber, it wasn't a cork back then because we were in freshwater, so it was a bobber, but your little bobber yeah. would go under. And literally, you take that 14-foot pole and flip him all the way out of the water. Uh, we caught bluegill that way, caught a few small bass that way, and, of course, wow. we had a few catfish in there as well. That's so cool. What an experience. I mean, if you think about, like, all the childhood memories, it's funny talking to people in – you know, like the present right now, because I think I was just telling you about how my dad said, oh, yeah, reels don't matter. It's just the rods that matter. And you remember things from the past that you're like, what the heck? How did I remember that? But now that we're talking about it, I'm like, that's why I wanted to ask you that question. If the Absolutely. rod or the reels are more important, because he always said that. And like, I look back on him I'm like, all right, my dad, he's pretty good at fly fishing, too. So I'm like, OK, I give it to you, dad. I give it to you. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. So what, what kind of reels do you use? Well, uh, the cook and wash and fly rods come in a rod and reel combination. Oh, wow. And as I said, we have two. We have a freshwater, which is a single disc drag system. Um, 
just use it when I'm doing some winter fishing or if I'm fishing a floating line, I like to use that one. And then, of course, for my sink tip and my intermediate tip lines, I use the uh, casted aluminum with the uh, three disc drag system. So buying them in combination, and this is another reason I love cooking wash them. You can go out there and spend two, three thousand dollars on a rod and reel combination and catch the exact same fish that I'm going to go out and catch on my $450 Maverick system. It really is the best rod and reel combination you can buy for the money. And we're not talking about making a comparison of uh, what would be considered a commodity brand. We're talking about a really high-end brand here, uh, made in the USA type of situation where Mr. Danny Washington has just decided for his love of the sport, uh, he's going to price them uh, affordably. Yeah. That's really amazing. I love that. Oh, yeah. I actually want to look that up after this because I need to get a new fly rod myself. I only, uh, my first fly rod was like a Cabela's rod. And I've had that ever since I was like 10 years old. My dad got it for me just to yeah. kind of teach me, but I've caught some, some crazy fish off fly rods, my uncle's fly rods, but, uh, uncle Toby, shout out to you, by the way, <laughs> he's a legend. Hey, right we on. always go, we always go, uh, fishing together up in Oregon. He's a, he's a good dude. So um, yeah, but, and shout out to my uncle Herbert. He's my new fly fishing buddy now. Uh, oh, I Herbert love Stovall. it. So um, Uncle Herbert just decided one day, all right, boy, I'm going to try it. And he gets into this thing where he'll only do a single hole because he doesn't, um, he hasn't yet gotten the rhythm of the second hole. And it becomes like slapping at the rod, trying to get it to get out there. And I just love having him. We catch a few fish and have a lot of fun. But I tell you what, uh, yeah, he's a good dude good dude to have on the boat with you for sure i love that and it's, it's funny too because like my uncle's like the way i look at my uncle he's just a you know hillbilly guy not really i mean he works his butt off every day and he's yeah. he's a good dude but he is kind of like in his ways of fishing and stuff he's a little bit hillbilly-ish so we'll put hot shots on for for steelhead fishing we'll catch big old steelhead on a fly rod just because we want the fight to be fun you know what i mean yep, so absolutely so we do that kind of stuff. And th those memories to me are just like, are you kidding me? I can't even believe we're catching those on a fly rod. Those Absolutely. things fight so hard, especially when you're in rapids and stuff with the drift boat. And it is so much fun. I love it. So, oh, yeah. And I've used that uh, drop shot technique funny enough. And maybe the whole world doesn't need to know, but why not? Right. Um, I've used that drop shot technique. And instead of putting a small weight uh, at the bottom, I'll use a double surgeon's knot. And literally, once the double surgeon's knot is tied towards the rod tip, I will take the longer tag in and tie one fly. And then on the bottom, instead of a drop shot weight, put a second fly and run two flies in tandem almost as just as what I do with a double rig on my uh, baitcasters. So let me ask you this. what What's the difference in the lines that you use? And I know you have flight, floating lines, sinking lines. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of lines, taper lines, all that stuff. But talk to me about the lines itself. Okay, so um, not sponsored at all. Scientific Angler makes great lines, right? Um, I would love to have that conversation with them about how I could become a part of that family because I just refuse to use anybody else's line. It's good stuff, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, with the floating lines, you never want to get any... Let me take that back. With the floating lines, you always want to get the ones that have texture. And the textured lines will slide through the guides a lot uh, easier. And for the most part, they're going to float until they get a little bit waterlogged, which is why you should clean your lines and let them dry out every single day after you get off, off the water from fly fishing. Um, but from the tip 
right to the center of the line. It's all going to float pretty well. And when you're using floating lines, you also want to use, um, in essence, in essence, floating flies. You don't want to get a really heavy fly or a lead eye fly and try to work them too much on floating line. Um, I find it's a little bit counterproductive. And we'll talk when we get a little further down, uh, down the line how we can make the others a little more productive by using uh, a floating fly with a sink tip line. All right, down from there, you got intermediate. And intermediate is going to be on a per second drop rate. And the only thing that's going to sink on an intermediate for the most part is the tip. And an intermediate seven, which is what I love to use, especially right now during the spring, because again, if I don't have clients on the boat, I am fly fishing. If I don't have clients on the boat, I am fly fishing. It's very rare that I'm going to bring my um, bait casters out there. So on my intermediate seven, that means that it will fall in the water column seven inches per second. And what you want to do for wow. your so you're yeah, so when you're fly fishing, you're actually counting too because yes. you can't you don't want it to drop too much. Yes. Now here's what the deal. The heck? When we're fly fishing redfish on the shallow and we're sight fishing, we're going to use floating line for the most part. And uh, we're just going to present it to them, and we're going to strip really easily. I'm going to back up a tiny bit here. When you strip for redfish, you kind of want to do it just right at the wrist here. You don't want to do it with long drags um, because it gets away from them pretty quickly, and they lose interest pretty quickly. When they run up that very first time and nose down on that fly, they're intending to eat it. And if you don't get that fly eaten that time, uh, you've got a little bit of an uphill battle convincing that fish on the second, third, and fourth cast to eat something he's already refused, right? Yeah. So we're just going to strip right here at the wrist and kind of quickly because those guys certainly can boogie-woogie. Now, when I'm not sight fishing, I'm out in four or five feet of water fishing for speckled trout, especially during the spring. I love to do this. I use an intermediate tip line. And when it hits the water, you want to count two, three, four, five, and then start stripping. And I will show you one of my faves. Hey, Captain Rick, yep. how does how do those lines interfere with freshwater versus saltwater? Buy a saltwater line, period. If you're fishing saltwater, buy a saltwater line. If you're fishing freshwater, buy a freshwater line. Because um, I can because I can tell a difference in oh, yes. surfboards with saltwater versus freshwater wave pools. The biggest thing is how they load when you're lifting the line, right? Okay. So when we're talking about a floating line, you're going to do the magic wand, I call it where you take the tip and you wheel it behind you, almost like you're throwing a hula hand loop to rope huh. a cat, right? Wow. So you want to take the tip and wheel it behind you until your thumb is pointed down. And when you do that, you'll send a real big uh, hula hoop type loop down that line. And it, when it gets just about to where that fly is, if you give it a single haul and pull back, the entire line lifts off the water and you're loaded and ready to rock and roll, right? But with sink tip line, you can do something pretty similar to that with intermediate line. You just got to really give it some oomph. But with a sink tip line, you're going to want to go ahead and uh, strip that in until you get to about 18, 20 feet or so. And for the most part, can identify the tip of that line and where it meets um, your leader. Then you'll have uh, enough on it to get it out of the water. But in freshwater, I find that it's much, much easier um, to load that that um, sink tip line. You can get it out 30 feet or so. And still, if you give it a real good haul, you can get it out of water with no problem. So the salt water, in essence, just has more density. So with the, 
you said that uh, the intermediate lines are. Uh, so you said intermediate seven, seven is uh, that's seven inches per second. So yeah. do they have different? Do they yeah. have like an intermediate six per second? Do they have an yeah. intermediate eight per second? Wow, absolutely. So there is there's a lot. There is, and you'll love this next one um, because now we've talked a little bit about intermediate. We'll move on uh, from there to the full sync line where the first 30 feet, the entire first 30 feet will sink, and it's a pretty fast sinker. Um, I'm going to use that later in the spring, early summer, when I'm out on the coast, uh, on the northern edge of the Gulf of Mexico, trying to catch those bull reds, and I want that line to kind of drop quickly around those islands so it can get past all of the trout and, and the Spanish mackerel that we may have out there. Um, and what will happen there is rather than using a nice eight-foot leader like I normally would, I'm just going to put on 18 to 24 inches of leader, and it's only going to be um, my FC 135-pound fluorocarbon. I won't have any mono leader on that at all. And the reason for that is it sinks so quickly that if you counter it with a floating fly, now you can get that fly um, up off the bottom, you know, as it's out from the line and you're stripping, you can get that fly to ride six to eight inches up off the bottom as you're stripping, as opposed to having a weighted fly and a weighted line that'll both kind of sink into the mud and mm -hmm. uh, force a fish really to have to dig it up to eat. So what? let's get into flies too, because this is all yeah. super, this is crazy to me. Yes, I've got a couple out already because we were just about to start there. So, yeah, we can definitely talk flies. So, yeah, talk to me about flies. I, so let me tell you this, Captain Rick. I've been fly fishing with my uncle. Um, I've fly fished with my dad. And, you know, I, I get it. I know how to do it. But my dad always pulls out these little flies and he goes, nope, that's not the one today. And he, everything about it, he just has a little, just the littlest box and he has you know, prior buddies that tied flies or has a guy that he buys flies from specifically. And I'm like, how the heck are you choosing these flies? And what is the difference in these flies? So those flies might be different what, than what you use and stuff too. But yeah, let's, I just want to get into flies because I have no idea. I really don't. Um, uh, you always hear other fishermen say match the hatch. Neither here nor there, right? Everything in the bayou eats a live shrimp. Um, and it's very hard to find, it's, it's very difficult to measure one client's ability with artificial lures to every other client, right? So if yep. we're on the spin reels, we're using live shrimp, period. I'll have a few artificials on the boat, namely the lawless lures. I really, really love those for redfish and speckled trout, especially in the spring and the late fall. Um, but all of my clients are gonna be on live shrimp. When it comes to the flies, it is all about match the hatch. When you're rolling through there, push polling, sometimes you'll see a few minnows. Sometimes you'll see a few brown shrimp. Uh, sometimes you'll see, uh, of course, our white shrimp. And based on what's in the area, that's what the fish are going to feed on. And for the redfish, especially our spring redfish, those young crabs are um, a real delicacy for them. So during the springtime, you're going to lean towards the crabs. Um, darker colors, greens, purples, you know, nothing too iridescent or, or fluorescent. When you get to the spring, it's going to be more about the winnow, uh, the minnows, the gold spoons, uh, the brown shrimp. And as I said, we've got a couple here we can even take a quick look at. 
during the springtime, which is now, I do a lot of um, speckled trout fishing. And this guy right here, please don't ask who makes it. I just go out there and find what works and I use it. But as you can see, he's a little shrimp with kind of a long, uh, uh, flimsy body here. And of course, once it gets wet, it'll point straight out. I use some of the spike it and color about one inch of that bottom in chartreuse using the spike it colors um, with the garlic uh, scent in it. And this is a floating fly, but uh, back to what we were talking about when you need to match your leader and your fly and your line. When I'm using the intermediate line, oftentimes there are going to be a whole bunch of birds out there on Barataria Bay that are diving on the bait that these trout are pushing up. And uh, even our sail cat push up a lot of bait. And when those birds are diving, if you don't get that fly below the surface some, the, the birds will go down and pick up your flies <laughs> and you spend the day running from seagulls, right? Are you serious? Uh, we got seagulls, we got kites, and we got terns. And all of them in general are going to say a little something about what's down below, right? Um, but what I use is this floating fly with an intermediate line. So once it hits the water and that line starts to pull on it, it's going to make this dive right here and it's going to ride um, six to eight, eight inches below the water. And as I'm stripping, it may try to float up and then it'll start to drop back down with that intermediate um, line again. So rather than floating high in the super high in the water column and getting picked up by birds, it's going to be high enough in the water column that all those fish that are looking up can get a look at it. Yep. but low enough in the water column to prevent getting snagged. Um, one of my faves in the fall, as I said, is the brown shrimp. So you'll see this guy wow. here is primarily just one of those uh, blue light epoxies with some shrimp eyes attached to it, and a lot of gold tinsel. And gold is key during the fall. Something about gold is just the guy. You know what I mean? Uh, and we do the same thing when it comes to spoons during the fall. We do a lot of these spoons right here, of course, do pre-make spoons as well, but they don't have that same uh, uh, width that these little guys have. And I'm usually going to try and find the ones with one or two uh, uh, hooks and make sure that your hooks are saltwater rated. If you're fishing saltwater, otherwise, you're going to have a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of hooks that are going to rust out pretty quickly. And these, just at the base here uh, of the tinsel do have lead eyes on them. So those are a few of the phase. And then of course, for the redfish that are out on the Gulf during the late spring, we're gonna use larger streamers and uh, pretty much anything that's gonna have some whites and chartreuse, uh, some silvers and give you a lot of flash is gonna work perfectly. This guy right here is set on a great big two-aught hook as you can see there. And this is a perfect way to catch redfish. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but something about having that big eye makes a big difference. There was a really? thing out there called the Big Eye or whatever it was not long ago. And I was using those quite a bit for redfish until I ran into the lawless lures and found out that I was just doing business the wrong way. <laughs> so so uh, do you specifically fish or uh, saltwater or do you ever go freshwater for fly fishing too? So here's the thing about Louisiana. During the... Um, during the melt-off period, I guess it will be the early, early spring when everybody north of us is melting off and the river starts to swell and we're getting those early spring rains in here. We actually catch a good amount of largemouth bass. So what we have, um, a lot of people refer to as brackish, but 
Yeah, it'll taste just about like sweet water at certain times of the year. It'll get extremely, extremely fresh uh, the further north into the bayou you get. And then, of course, the further south you get, closer to the Gulf of Mexico, uh, the saltier it gets. So as we talked about the last time we were together, I can very easily go from watching the dolphins dive and catching, you know, uh, uh, speckled trout and Spanish mackerel to getting way back in the bayou and catching um, channel cat. And, and, and largemouth bass. What, what's the biggest difference that you're noticing with your, the gear you're using? I know you were talking about um, rusting, obviously, but the, the gear you're using between uh, freshwater and saltwater. Corrosion. There is no real difference. There is no real difference. Corrosion is the, um, the number one gotcha to gear. Uh, everything that's saltwater rated, even though it's saltwater rated, when you get in at the end of the day, you should rinse it real good with fresh water and uh, separate them, you know, so that there's lots of space in between and they can all dry fully before you get out the next day. Otherwise, um, even with the line, the salt crystals will start to build up on your line and it won't pass through the eyes very well. I sometimes use the silicone uh, line prep. It's kind of a spray that has a little bit of silicone in it and rub it down real good. That seems to disallow the saltwater crystals to stick to the line as well. So, you know, once a month or so, once every six weeks or so, I'll hit it with a little bit of silicone. But other than that, you just have to keep everything clean and you have to keep it rinsed down with that fresh water. What's the biggest difference in flies for, for fresh versus saltwater? Well, in fresh water, I know that uh, my buddies use a lot of poppers. Um, they also use a lot of um, frogs. They, they use, I even have some buddies who are way up north they use eggs, salmon eggs, right? Hmm. It looks like a salmon egg cluster anyhow. So again, it's all about matching the hatch. Whatever you see that day is what you throw that day. There are some times when the iridescent colors are going to be are going to be pretty sporty. Um, we got this guy right here. One of my clients came out and we just had a whale of a good day on that day. And he was using this guy that he and his buddy wow. tied. He calls it the Red Wrangler. And um, they are for sale. But he gave me a couple of them. And funny enough, funny enough, something as simple as this Red Wrangler with the same set of colors in the body, uh, we were using it during the springtime when the hatch was our baby crabs. And this guy, um, we were getting refused pretty much all through the morning. We switched over to this guy that just had a few tentacles on him, look a little bit more like a female crab's uh, pincers. And didn't get another refusal for the remainder of the day. So Are you serious? Uh, I'm very serious. I am very, very serious. It's, what the heck? Uh, I tell you, sometimes you get out there and there's been a really, really good overcast night and it's a super dark night. And early in the morning, those fish are hungry. They're going to eat all through the morning. On the flip side of that, you get a wide open, bright night with a big moon. And when you get out there, you can literally watch these fish with swollen bellies that are absolutely engorged, swim past your baits um, for the entirety of the morning and pay no attention to them because, you know, they pretty much stuff themselves just before sunup, which is another reason why you want to time it well with fly fishing, especially here in Louisiana. We don't have the world's cleanest water, right? Um it's salty. Uh, our bottoms are kind of muddy and we've got lots of sulfur here. We do have some sand bottoms. So we want to be in uh, 20 inches of water or less. So based on what the tide is doing, 
I'm going to make a decision as to what part of the bayou I'm going to run to in order to find water that's going to be the depth that I need, but equally important, may be protected from the wind based on where it's coming out of so that the wind and the outgoing or incoming tide don't cross one another and turn that bottom up and muddy my water. I can go from crystal clear to chocolate milk in no time uh, with a tide change. Do you tie your own flies? No. That's too much like work, brother. <laughs> that's, too, that's, that's too much like work, man. No, there is there are just great fly tires out here, and those guys do an awesome job. I'm particular about which I'll use, but all my flies are purchased. So what what is the biggest difference in um uh, or let me ask you this, what's the big advantage from fly fishing or spin fishing? Big advantage spin fishing is you put meat on the boot. If you've got uh some young folk that want to go out and fish. Um, if mom and dad are bringing the kiddos out, we want to be on the spin because the joy in fishing for them is in the tub, right? And if I can take them out there and get on a couple dozen fish and they, you know, get a few real good fights mixed in there with some larger rigs or some of our big offshore size sheep's head, um, we've had a real good day. On the fly, the joy is fly fishing itself, being out there, being a part of it all, right? Um, I named my fly fishing boat Aria. Uh, because if you remember the movie or the series Game of Thrones, Arya was this tiny little lady who had a needle, she called it, tiny little sword uh, that saved an entire kingdom for her bravery. And my fly fishing boat right now is a little flat boat, uh, twin gator tails on it. I'm actually building a new one. Uh, Charlie Paraloo up at Game Changer Boats in Hammond, Louisiana is building me a new fly fishing boat. I'm going to a single engine. I'm doing outboard this time and a smaller boat because I want to be able to pole it a little better. Uh, Aria is just a little bit big to pole all day, so we end up trolling it around. And every so often, the trolling motor will send a plume of mud behind you. So when you spin around to get back after a fish, you've already dirtied that water up. So I'm going to go Got with it. one that's a little uh, smaller this time, one that's a little more easily pulled. Um, I'll still put a trolling motor on it because that's how we're going to move from area to area and then pull from there to sneak up on fish. Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh long story made short you get out there you get in those shallow waters you're having a great time um you're a part of it all you're really stalking them and like i said i call uh, uh that boat aria because it's like the tiny little warrior we get back into these small little places where you know human feet may never have tread before you know what i'm yeah. saying um and, and when you enjoy the sport to the point that becoming a part of it really is um nestled close to your heart Fly fishing is the way to go. And obviously, with those longer fly rods bent into a sea, fighting a 20-pound rig um, is a lot more fun. You know, you get him, on the, get him on the spin. And, of course, my saying is that the fish of a lifetime sometimes only bites once in a lifetime, right? So where, where everybody else uses 15-pound floral, I'm using 50-pound braid with a 35-pound fluorocarbon leader. And same on the fly, we're using a 40-pound uh, leader. 10 foot, I cut four foot off of it, and then I'm going to tie a 35-pound fluorocarbon tippet to it uh, with a blood knot. And then we're going to use that to present these flies. And when you get hooked up, man, oh, man, it very easily, especially as uh, the sheep said, it's like the holy grail um, because they just don't give it up. The redfish, yeah. you're going to give you a few long runs, and then once they settle down, you bring them right to the boat. And once they see the boat and they're none too happy, they'll give you one or two more long runs. And after that, you're pretty much positioning them to get them in the net. Sheep's head, on the other hand, 
from the time you hook up till the time that you get them in the net, they are just a constant, constant fight. They're never going to give it up. They're a big ball of energy. And if you get yourself into a big one, tell you what, that's the fun of it. And the other thing that's really fun about fly fishing is getting an opportunity to watch that fish eat your fly. When you're looking at a flit fish and you're testing your metal, you know, testing the amount of time that you've spent uh, in the backyard on the rod, you know, against this fish that you're looking at 40 feet away or so, uh, 35 feet away, and you get to see him run up there and eat that fly, there's just no feeling like it. When is the best time to fly fish? Morning or? No, the best time to fly fish is when the water's wet. (laughs) I like that one. Yeah. Um. It is what it is. This is Louisiana. I might have oh, I to burn it. a half I love it. to find them, but one way or the other, we're going to get on fish. My worst, worst days of fly fishing, we may get a whole <laughs> bunch of refusals, but we're going to see a dozen or so fish. What about uh, cleaning and maintenance for uh, line and all of your gear and stuff like that? Fresh what water, fresh do? water, fresh water. Just that the hose. Is, if you rinse everything down with fresh water and lay it out, um, It'll all dry and be fine. The thing you have to be most cognizant of is your leader and your tippet um, because the fluorocarbon tippet after a while, well, the leader will actually get sunburned. Um, The monofilament leader will actually get sunburned after a while, which is why I keep them below deck unless we're fishing. And of course, the monofilament after so much use, um, it'll do a tiny bit of stretching. The FC100 will, but after a while, because it doesn't have a memory, It'll kind of give out. You got to keep those changed out every three or four trips. Make sure you've got some nice, fresh uh, leader on there and you're solid. And the leader's most important part, because as I said, here in Louisiana, we don't always see fish 35, 40 feet away, because uh, especially if we're on a nice, muddy brown bottom, um, a lot of times when we see them, they're right there, nine, ten, ten feet away from the boat. And one of the biggest mistakes is, you know, to slap down on that fish and and to get into too big a hurry to present that fly. I tell my clients all the time, you just strip it until that eight foot leader is right outside the tip of that um, rod, put your elbows in close to your body, drop that rod in the water and turn your entire body until you wave it right over the front of his nose. Yeah, all that extra motion and trying to get it down to them quickly, it will certainly spook them. They're not a spooky fish. They're not one that you have to be overly conscious about sneaking up on. They're they're pretty bold. And um, when they're paired up, traveling packs of two and sometimes three, they're just about going to strike anything that moves. Uh, We talk about colors and patterns and baits, but the truth is when they're paired up up in twos and threes, trolling up and down the banks, um, they're just going to strike just about anything. It's those fish that are kind of all by their lonesome back in a small pool. And, you know, rather than trolling the edges, he's just kind of sitting in the middle, looking around, doing nothing. That's the guy that's going to be a little more picky. So with your charter business, where can we go online and uh, get that going? www.clearvisioncharters.com. I love it. www.clearvisioncharters.com. You can find me there or just give me a call at 504-940-8844. That's the business line and it's always on. You may not get a call back to the next morning if I happen to be out on the water when you call, but we'll we'll be sure to get back with you. Captain Rick, you're always a pleasure to talk to, man. I really enjoy your company always and I really appreciate you. Let me write down notes because I just learned a lot about fly fishing. 
Yeah, man. And the funny thing is, there's so much more to learn. Um, I learn every single time that I'm out there. There has not been a time that I've been fly fishing and didn't say to myself at some point during the trip, man, I wish I had used this fly instead of that one. Or, man, that was a little bit farther than I thought it may be. Um, and I use a clock system, right? So uh, I tell my clients all the time, you don't need 50 feet of line laying in that casting basket. You know, if you get 20, 25 feet of line in that casting basket and you've got your fly in your hand and eight foot of leaders sitting outside of that tip, you're going to be prepared to present a fly. Um, and, and there's those times when I use my clock system, uh, the hour is going to be the direction of the boat and the minutes is going to be in feet. So there'll be some times that I'll, you know, yell out 135 and folks are looking at me like, it's that late. You know, so I uh, just just taking time to review that system two or three times early in the day before you really get into fish um, is something that I learned I have to do. Sometimes uh, um, I'll have folks blind cast 135 just to see what the reaction time is to one o'clock off the boat at approximately 35 feet, right? Um, just little things like that. Every single time I crank up, there's a lesson to be learned. And I think that that's one of the things I love most about fly fishing, seeing as I'm a teacher, right? We're always learning, and I love that. And that's why I always love uh, having you on here, or anybody on here on the podcast, because I learn something new every single time I talk to people. And uh, it's very appreciative to be able to have people on here, especially like you. And uh, I hey, appreciate, man, appreciate your company today. No doubt. I appreciate your company, Captain Rick. And uh, I hope you're doing well. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, my dude, till I see you again, get them out of the water. And don't forget, you're supposed to be headed south sometime in the next couple of years. I can't wait to see you. I know. I need to. I need to. I need to go to the East Coast. I need to go south. I'm a, I'm a busy man right now. So I'm trying to. I'm trying to make it all work out. I'm trying to make it all work out, but I, uh, I will definitely hit you up. I got your number saved. So. All right, my dude. Well, you take good care. And until next time, uh, get them out of water. Love you guys out there. All my clear visionaries. Um, and hopefully I'll get to see you all soon. Take care. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to uh, today's podcast and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening in to above and below a salt life podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Real Salt Life. If you've enjoyed this episode, rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast to help spread the word. And remember, stay salty.